He's the man who blew the whistle on the largest money laundering case in history. Howard Wilkinson uncovered and exposed an international money laundering scheme that reached all the way to the Russian secret police and included relatives of President Vladimir Putin. More than 230 billion euros passed through bank accounts at the Danska Bank in Estonia. Wilkinson reported his suspicions to senior officials at Danska Bank in 2013. As a result, he was let go, muzzled, and paid off. His report, while not acted upon at the time, came to light in 2018, and he says now charges have been laid against 12 former bankers in Estonia, and another 10 Danish bankers have been served with preliminary charges. The scandal has rocked the financial world in Europe and the U.S., where the Securities Commission and the Department of Justice are carrying out investigations. Wilkinson is the co-winner of the Peter A. Allard Award for International Integrity, which was awarded in Vancouver on October 21, 2020. I invited Howard Wilkinson to join me for a conversation that matters about the unveiling of the largest money laundering scheme in the world. However, before going to that conversation, I am playing the video that was produced for the Peter A. Allard Ceremony. Danske Bank provided a hole in the wall around the Western financial system that allowed vast quantities of, of illicit funds to flow in without anyone knowing who they belonged to. I found that this company, which had been a big active customer in the bank for several months, had filed accounts saying that during that same period it was dormant, and yet they shoved $200 million in four months through their accounts. It could just have been one company, one bad lot had got in. But once I started digging, it was obvious it was something much more systemic with the customer base. Anyone who provides a, a backdoor through this is able to make a lot of money out of it. That was the business model of Danske Bank's Estonian branch. I looked at the three largest UK LLPs, the three most profitable ones in Estonia, and I pulled the accounts, and it was quite interesting. They were all fake. Not just that, they all basically looked the same, and it turned out that they all had the same registered office in the UK. Firstly, it looked like this particular group of companies had been into some very bad stuff. But worse than that, it looked like there'd been some collusion as well. I made my whistleblowing report directly to Copenhagen and the reason being was that the issues seemed to be so serious that it wasn't appropriate to raise them within the branch, not appropriate. The internal auditors confirmed what I found, but then they just did nothing. The fact that the bank then essentially refused to take the action that they should have been taking only added to the seriousness of what he was exposing. There's a lot of people who valued their career more than doing the right thing. You know, I don't want to be involved or anywhere near this, so I resigned 
I also warned them that I'd taken legal advice and that if they weren't going to go and inform the authorities, then I was quite prepared to do it myself. When I resigned, the bank had a right to enforce a non-compete clause to stop me going and working for a competitor and paying for it. Guy flew over from Copenhagen, met in a hotel, presented me with this agreement. The problem with this agreement was that there was a, also essentially a very tough gag clause, non-disclosure agreement within this. I wasn't happy with that, basically because of the lack of action from management over the previous months. The non-disclosure agreements, they're used all the time to silence whistleblowers. This senior executive looked me in the eye and he gave me his personal assurance that he had zero tolerance for money laundering and he was going to sort the whole thing out. His personal assurance. So reluctantly I signed. The lead whistleblower is being told he can't identify the people involved, the customers, and he can't identify the corporate officials who are involved. The bank is an economically rational actor. Even if the bank is 90% sure that if it went to court, it would lose, it would still be rational for the bank to sue me because it would set an example to other potential whistleblowers. We can't demonize regimes and have our own little side industry of people who are making money off their money. It doesn't wash. He is a man of principles. Yeah, and I think that that drove his decision-making throughout the entire process, even though you could tell that uh, some of the decisions were extremely difficult for him to bear. Some Estonian newspaper decided that one of the great questions that needed to be answered about the Danske Bank story was, who was the name of the whistleblower, and that was me. The criminal gets protection of the identity. The whistleblower's identity is leaked and there's nothing he can do about it. We weren't really pleased to have my name come out. It's not great from a, from a safety point of view. Whoever outed him, uh, you know, wanted to make sure that he felt intimidated. The people he exposed have very long memories. I have no doubt that certainly they will think he still knows secrets that could be harmful to them. And the fact that he did what he did is something that they have a track record of not forgiving. He was told right from the beginning that the Russian secret police were one of the people controlling an account. And one of Putin's relatives had an account. And so, yeah, he, he, will, he will always be in danger. It's, it's, uh, he has given himself a life sentence. Even though we can't be sure about the dimensions of this problem and we can't be sure how much money we're talking about, we are more sure or less unsure than we were because of Howard Wilkinson's exposure of, of Danske Bank's crimes. When you get a whistleblower like Wilkinson who exposes something so big, there will be accountability. There will be reforms. I think what he did was, was I mean, principled and correct, but also incredibly brave. Um, and, and it deserves you know, greater recognition than, than, it, than it's received. 
one, one hopes never to run into anything like this. But once you've run into it, you hope that when you report it really to a proper level, that people will do something appropriate about it. Uh, you know, it's six years on now. Howard, welcome and congratulations. You are the co-winner of the Allard Prize for International Integrity. It's been almost seven years since you brought your concerns to the senior management team at Danske Bank in Estonia. You have since fled Estonia and returned to your home country, England, to ensure the safety of your family and yourself. How are you holding up emotionally, physically, and financially? From 2015, when we moved until 2018, you know, I, we just made our new life here without expecting any publicity or anything. And then things got a bit crazy um, in September 2018, when some Estonian newspaper, magazine, whatever, decided that one of the great questions that needed to be answered about the Danske Bank story was, who was the name of the whistleblower? And that was me. So... You're doing your job for a number of years, then you notice an anomaly in certain non-resident accounts. These discoveries started to unfold, and as they did, you started to look into it. At first, just because there was missing information. Completely by accident, I was asked, uh, I was helping, helping someone who we was getting a new a customer rolling, and she didn't really, she, she was quite, new to her job she was struggling with some application form uh, offered to help her get some information about this company it was a british company so then i helped the, the company had been rolling as a client for a few months um she needed some financial information so i went to the company's house which is the government company's register you paid one pound pulled the company's accounts and so I found that this company, which was doing, had been a big active customer in the bank for several months, um, had filed accounts saying that during that same period, it was dormant, hadn't been trading. Hadn't done, dormant means hasn't done a single significant accounting transaction. Um, so they hadn't done a single significant accounting transaction. They had no assets. And yet they shoved $200 million in four months through their accounts. That's an anomaly, yeah? <laughs> in retrospect, oh yeah, I, that should, it was a massive red flag, I should have gone sc screaming around and whatever. But in the context, you know, everyone was happy, so it was a bit strange. So I, then I, I told the account manager and compliance officer, and they said they'd find out what, had ha what, what was going on, um, the unit manager as well. Um, and then they said, oh, the company made a mistake. They just filed the wrong accounts. It was plausible. Then we fast forward from summer 2012 till September 2013. And then this customer um, has been very active for the, for the year. Then the customer, and you know, there's about 20 odd companies in this group, 
some individuals as well, some interesting individuals. Um, suddenly the message comes, oh, they've been kicked out for AML reasons. They have to close their accounts. They've got a week or two or whatever it is to close their accounts. Um, okay. Now, on the one hand, it's, isn't it good in a bank when you find suspicious customers that you kick them straight out? That's good. Well, on the other hand, hang on a second, wasn't this the same company which a year ago had filed accounts that were false and had supposedly corrected them? And you didn't quite ring true. So we're pretty busy the, the, the autumn of, of, of that year. And we got to Christmas and it was sort of nagging at me what was going on. So then I thought, I know, I'll pull these refiled accounts and let's see what these refiled accounts actually looked like. Uh, when, I pulled, when I paid my next pound and pulled the refiled accounts for this company, remember the first ones were dormant. The new ones, what were they, 10, 20,000 turnover? 10, 20,000 assets? So the new ones were fictional, but in a different way. So at that point, it can't be a mistake because once the re what, what happened when the with these refiled accounts? Surely some, someone checked them, someone knew. Yeah, it, does, it really looked bad. It, it looked like they'd been... Firstly, it looked like this particular group of companies had been into some very bad stuff. But worse than that, it looked like there'd been some collusion as well because people in the bank were fully aware. Even if they hadn't been aware and then suddenly in all, whatever it was, August 2012, when I handed them these dormant ones, then they had a miraculous, you know, it was a miraculous revelation. Oh, these companies file accounts, do they? Oh, we have to start checking them. You know, it's, it, at, at that point, it looks like there's people on the inside helping with this. So I had to figure what to do. Um, it wasn't clear how high up the collusion and the issues went in the bank uh, in Estonia. So decided, I decided that I should make a report to the top management in Copenhagen. So I had um, the one executive board member and then three other top top executives um, I wrote my first whistleblowing report to as well. So the initial response was to actually, that was serious and needed to be looked at. But I carried, I, carried, I carried on digging. I mean, I found another, I did another three whistleblowing reports, a batch of three, um, a batch of three really profitable UK limited liability partnerships. Um, and the accounts basically looked the same as the last one. Um, they weren't dormant, but had nothing to do with the actual business. And they all had the same address. Was that a point where you started to become concerned about your own well-being and the safety of your family? Not until my name came out. When my name came out, obviously we had Let's say we chatted to the we, we we had chats with some of the appropriate people. Of course, we want you to remain physically safe, but what about financially? How have your actions, those being based in honesty and integrity, affected your banking career? What? Well, I was a, a death blow. I think there's no banking career. There's there, um, you know, there's never any was never any prospect. How unfortunate that by doing what you are professionally and morally obliged to do became the death nail of your career. Shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been like that because, you know, 
there are, you know, th this whole sad story, I mean, there's so many different actors in it from regulators um, to, to top bankers and whatever. Whose motivation can I understand? I can understand the money launderers in Russia and wherever wanting to launder their money. I can actually understand the people in the branch who allegedly were being paid off. I can understand that because they were just greedy. What I don't understand is the cover-up by top management of the bank. What, what I can't understand is the regulators turning blind eye. So I, all, 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 of this, all, all of this stuff, I, I, don't, I don't get. You know, what should have happened is, after, you know, February, March 2013, sorry, 2014, sorry, once they were, the auditors had clearly found stuff. I mean, you can read, you can read terrible, terrible things in the, the report the, bank's law, the bank had commissioned from some external lawyers. Terrible things, you know, like some guy telling the auditors the, the, you know, that, what was it? Um, we don't identify the customers in case they get problems from the Russian authorities. I mean, you're finding terrible things like that that are clearly illegal. And if someone had said, this is clearly illegal, we, you know, what should have happened? They should have said, there are terrible things going on here. We're going to report ourselves to the authorities in all the various countries. We're going to fix it really fix it. And if we have to fire everybody, we're going to fire everybody. And if it has to be announced to the stock market, it's going to be announced to the stock market. But we're going to tell the authorities and we're going to do the right thing. At what point did you become aware of the incredible amount of money that was passing through this small branch of Danske Bank in Estonia? If you'd asked me on the morning the lawyer's report came out what I thought the total volume was, I would have probably guessed, given that I probably had you know, was reasonably close, at least had some idea. I would have, you could have taken a naught off the number they, they came out with $230 billion of suspicious flows through the bank. If you'd asked me before that morning, you could probably have taken a naught off. If you'd asked me to guess or estimate, and it wouldn't be a, wouldn't be a nothing estimate. It, you know, I was shocked at, that it was as big as it, as it was. Was there a point during the uncloaking of the scandal that you thought you ought to put your head down and forget it? What's the point in stopping? You, you couldn't like put your head back under the parapet and say, sorry. Or equally, you know, what I guess was possible was to say, well, I've done my bit. I've done my bit. I've raised it. You've said that there's no, that you've, you've said you've taken care of it. I don't really believe you, but whatever. I've covered my ass. No one's going to send me to prison for helping money laundering by, or knowing about it and not reporting it. Or I've, done, I've covered my ass. But I think in life you need to do a bit more than cover your ass. Why? And why do you have to do that? I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to claim to be someone who's on some mission of wanting to make the world a better place or, or anything like that. But yeah, I worked, for, I worked for the bank. Something you said, I enjoyed working for the bank. I worked for the bank for what? getting on for six years before any of this. Five years until the first indication, six years until you know, things started to get really heavy. I think you, 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 there's some sort of obligation to the bank. That, that doesn't mean to these people who are alleged to have been money laundering in Estonia. It's not an obligation to the management in Estonia, the ones who were listening to my phone calls. It's not an obligation even to the 
executive board or whatever. It's an obligation to the bank, maybe the shareholders, I don't know, but to the bank, you've been working for somewhere. You've got to, you know, once you've found it, if it's, you've got to shake, shake, things, shake things a little bit. The average person does not have direct contact with money laundering. Why then should they care? We all care about, we all care about crime. We don't want to have crime in our community. You know, whistleblower, if you saw a dead body in the street and you saw someone running off with a knife and you knew who they were, wouldn't you ring up the police and tell them who they were? You know, we, we don't want crime. There's a level for all of this. But what, what seems to happen in the West is that we're very good at moralizing. Um, you know, the British way is fantastic. We are a beacon of human rights to the world. And I know you're a beacon in Canada, perhaps not as big a one as we are in the UK. And Denmark and Sweden have made a, you know, if, if you're, it's moralizing to the whole world about the Danish and the Swedish way. Perhaps many people would say that one positive consequence of the Danske Bank story is that Danish diplomats and politicians are no longer able to moralize to the world. But in the West, we've moralized to the world about bad things, damaging human rights. We particularly dislike the Putin regime and all the other corrupt regimes in the so Azerbaijan, etc., etc. Um, but we like their money. How does that? We, we like the money. We're very happy having the money come through our banks. Um, perhaps it stays in London to buy nice property. Um, perhaps it goes to um, Canada, perhaps it goes and buys nice property in Manhattan, perhaps it just sits in a Swiss bank account. It's not morally consistent that we don't like the regime. We, like, we don't like Putin, he's a bad man. But we're perfectly happy having his money washing through our system. It doesn't wash, it doesn't wash. We can, we can be, if, if we, we, we can set our moral standards but we need to apply them consistently. We can't demonize regimes and have our own little side industry of people who are making money off their money. It doesn't wash. The, the average man or woman in the street is perfectly happily happy and supportive of a moral foreign policy where we dislike the human rights record and the way certain regimes behave. But they expect that, that our response isn't just waving our fist and shaking our finger. Our response is, we don't want your dirty money either. And that's why the average man or woman in the street should care about this story, because it's a total disconnect between what's the, what our political leaders are saying publicly and what they're actually doing. Howard, thank you. Yeah, pleasure.